0: welcome back to the san francisco giants edition of for the fans by the fans ben j Shap llc podcast in this show we bring you your weekly dose of all things san francisco giants baseball from the fans perspective i'm a lifelong giants fan and your host benjamin shapiro Today, we're going to kick things off by talking about the 2018 San Francisco Giants spring training as the Gigantes look to rebound from the worst season ever in franchise history. With us is Adam Grossman. Adam is a lifelong Giants fan that lives in Seattle, Washington, and Moonlights as an operations and demand planning expert. He graduated from Vanderbilt with a degree in mathematics and is going to talk us through some of his thoughts on the Giants offseason and his undying love for Matt Cain. But before we get started, I want to tell you that this podcast is brought to you on behalf of our friends at Fanatics. Fanatics is the global leader of licensed sports merchandising. They have the world's largest collection of official sports apparel from the leagues, teams, and players that you love. So that means if you're like my buddy Adam and you want to buy a three foot long replica of the Matt Cain perfect game ticket stub, Fanatics is the place for you. We're lucky enough to be Fanatics affiliates, so if you want to help us out, go to FTFBTF.com slash Giants, which stands for For the Fans, By the fans.com slash Giants, and they'll give us a little kickback to help us pay for the production of this show whenever you buy your Giants gear. Okay, so on to our conversation with uh, my best man, Adam Grossman. Adam,
1: how the hell are you, bud? Doing all right. Good to be here first time on a podcast right yeah first time podcaster long time listener of podcasts
0: welcome to the big leagues um butterflies little nerves palms getting a little sweaty
1: yeah well you know i don't say the the smartest things when i'm not being recorded and i hear that uh, that when you're recorded it drops your iq by about 10 points so uh so yeah you know i'm sure we'll figure it out <laughs>
0: Can't be worse than the 2017 Giants season, so let's just let her rip. Uh, let's start off with a little story time with Adam Grossman. Adam, your whole family is full of baseball fans. Tell me, um, what's it like to have your wife uh, whisper sweet nothings about baseball into your ear when you go to bed at night?
1: Well, that's kind of how we got our first son, but uh, or I got our got our son uh, Emmett, who's who's almost four, turns four in May, and then. Uh, you know our daughter Abby is uh, turning two in May as well as well and uh, she is growing up to be a baseball fan um, I guess the the difficult spot that that I run into is that Kate is a is a Yankees fan thankfully she's not a Dodgers fan but uh, you know I certainly give her quite a bit of flack for having grown up in uh, the Pacific Northwest and picking uh, the Yankees for their their quote unquote historic, uh, background when, uh, when the Mariners were only a couple hundred miles away. Um, but yeah, you know, it's, uh, it's, it's great because, uh, I love baseball. I grew up watching baseball and obviously in the, in the Bay area. Um, my dad was a, a baseball fan and we'd go to the the stick whenever we got a chance to, to go. Um, and, you know, it's just awesome being in a, in a space in, in life where, uh, you know, I don't have to, to, you know, hide off to, or go off, uh, to, to get my baseball fix. It's something that kind of revolves around the, the family. You know, we're going to spring training in, uh, in a couple of weeks to both see the, the giants as well as the Mariners. And that's not something that I have to Uh, pull teeth to go and do it's something that uh, that everybody's excited about
0: so rumor has it Emmett grossman is absolutely tearing up the pacific northwest backyard league
1: quite literally he's uh uh he's tearing up the the grass in the backyard um you know he's he's three and a half at this point in time and uh he's hitting hitting free pitch which is is pretty awesome uh, still got some work to do on his on his stance. Not exactly the most uh, the most coachable. He wants to do it all himself. Uh, but yeah, I mean, he's he's always loved picking up a ball and swinging a bat. Fortunately, we've been we've got enough of a yard that he can do that uh, outside and uh, not so much inside. But uh, there's a lot of parenting around uh, no baseball bats inside and no swinging inside. So. Is he modeling his
0: stance after any major league baseball players? Are we talking Ichiro here, Cal
1: Ripken? That's a really good question. What's funny is I think it was this is going to be a totally random one, but I think it was David Justice in back in the the when the, in the when the Braves like in 90 92, 93, he had that really uh, upright stance with the bat kind of up up high. Yeah. Over his head and almost like would face you while he was batting. Uh, Emmett's a right-handed batter and he kind of bats that way. And I keep on trying to, to get him to kind of turn sideways, but he just wants to, to stand and face right there. I mean, his hips are kind of always open and he's all, all arms, but, uh, you know, David justice was a pretty big dude and just basically swung the bat hard and quick and, he's a line drive hitter like that. So there's a, there's a flash in the pan, man. He used to kill us back in the day.
0: Well, if you're, if you're teaching Emmett, uh, you know, maybe you want to work on some outfielder skills because it doesn't look like the Giants can raise an outfielder to save their
1: life. Yeah. We'll, we'll get into that. And that's the truth.
0: So uh, change the conversation, do exactly what I told you I wouldn't do in the sense of we're going to play a little game here. And I'm going to call this our first For the fans, by the fans, pop quiz, where I'm going to fire off some quick questions that I haven't told you, and I just want some fast responses. Are you ready? Sure. Great. All right. Awesome. Who, name your top five giants of all time. Oh, man.
1: My top five giants, like the ones that I've seen, are just...
0: Rapid fire, answer the questions.
1: uh, Matt Williams, Matt Kane, Buster Posey... You know, I always liked Bob Melvin because he had that awesome mustache, even though he even though he was a relatively marginal catcher. Um, dude, ah, who's a fifth that's good? Bonds, you know. I just I love I loved Bonds just because everybody hated him, and I think that everybody's such a freaking hypocrite for everybody's
0: got an asshole he's ours exactly love you barry if you're listening okay (laughs) question two uh what's the favorite game you've ever attended live
1: oh uh there's two of them pick one i'd say game seven of the nlc of the what is it nlcs against the cardinals the rain game the marco scudero rain game that was my favorite because we went to Game Six and Game Seven, and we were down three-two going into that uh, into into those two games, uh, and we went to those games back to back, and that was just that's the best forty-eight hours of baseball. I, I'm pretty sure I'll ever. Uh, I'll ever experience. A close second was the, I guess it was the NLDS or I guess it was NLCS in 2010 against the Phillies. And that was the rally Snuggie game. And I don't even remember all the the details on that one. All I know is that I just, I ended up wearing a Snuggie that was a promo item that was bright orange when uh, the Giants were I think we were down in the eighth or ninth inning and just threw it on as the rally snuggie and we ended up winning it.
0: There's an iconic photo from that game with me standing behind you making a halo and you with your arms out like touchdown Jesus and somebody else with a mustache We'll have to post that on the For the Fans by the Fans website somewhere.
1: You know, you were... I'm sorry for running over you on that one. You were taking that photo. The halo in the back is some random
0: dude. Oh, that's right. That's right. That's right. Okay, let's move on to the next question. What's the worst game you've ever attended live?
1: Oh, that's an easy one. I want to say this was back in like 2003. All I know is the terrible Marvin Bernard years. I guess it was not 2003. It was later than that, but... It was an 18-inning, one to nothing game where we lost to the Diamondbacks. Again, one to nothing. And it was one of those awful, really cold nights and
0: Marvin Bernard was 0 for
1: 9 and hadn't hit the ball out of the infield. Yeah. But I mean, like, not only that, but he was like 0 for 9 with 23 men left on base.
0: Who's your most hated dodger of all time?
1: Ugh. Probably Matt Kemp.
0: I would go Mike Piazza. Fuck that guy.
1: Yeah, I didn't like Mike.
0: It's the opposite of your Bob Melvin take. That mustache deserved to be in a porn, not on a baseball field.
1: Did Uh, did I say Bob Melvin? I meant Bob Brenly. You did say Bob Melvin.
0: There was the two Bobs. Yeah, and they both were the catchers, and both ended up being managers, and Brenly, surprisingly, was the one that won the World Series.
1: Yeah, and turned out to be a totally nice guy. And the funny thing was that, I grew up really liking Matt Williams. And as time goes on, I'm like, man, Matt Williams, like with the Diamondbacks and everything, like he kind of seemed like a jerk, you know?
0: Yeah, he didn't get along with a lot of people, I feel like, after his baseball career. But he was always a little bit of a serious hard ass.
1: And Bob Brenly was one of those guys. I was like, that seems like a dude I'd want to go and have a beer a beer with. I want to hear stories from Bob Mel. I guess that's why he's in the booth. but Or Bob <laughs> Brenly. probably
0: more like a beer or seven. Hey, give me three words that describe how you feel about Tim Lincecum in a Rangers jersey. Mm. That doesn't count as one. Good for him. <laughs> Three words that describe how you feel about Frank Gore in a Detroit jersey. Keep going, man. <laughs> I would have gone with not a Dodger for Tim Linsicum, and that's a concussion for Frank Gore. Yeah, uh,
1: but that what do would you think? have been Frank Gore in uh, Colts uniform and probably the last four years that he was in a Niner uniform. Fair.
0: Uh, what do you think Pablo Sandoval's current weight is? Up. <laughs> Uh, who's the Giants' fifth starter at the beginning of the year? Ty Blatch? Who's the Giants' fifth starter at the end of the year?
1: Some retread from another team that they picked up at the trade deadline. Jeez, I don't so that
0: know. means that you think that they're competitive and adding pieces.
1: No, I think they're getting a guy who's a salary cap dump from another team. I don't know, like somebody like a C.J. Wilson. I don't even know if he's in the league anymore. But you know what? Tim Lincecum.
0: <laughs> not a chance Not a chance in
1: hell. Sure.
0: Yeah. Uh, okay. Total wins for the Giants, including the 2018 playoffs.
1: 82.
0: How many of those are playoff wins? Zero. Zero. <laughs> All right. Congratulations. You've passed your first pop quiz.
1: Thanks. That wasn't so bad. I think I'd give myself like a C-plus on that. Yeah. Like,
0: you know, 72. Phil, you mixed up Brenly and Melvin and, you know, a lot. Yeah. Over a few questions, but you made up some ground on Pablo Sandoval's current weight. So well done. All right. Let's talk about 2017 and what happened. You're the reason why I invited you to be on this podcast is A, I like talking to you, and B, you're my mathy friend. So by the numbers, or what's your view of, of what happened in 2017?
1: Well, to put a pretty brief and fine point on it, not a lot good happened in the 2017 season. Um, I think we all know that. But, uh, you know, I, when you first asked me to go and, and look at how bad the Giants were in 2017, my first inclination was, well, I'll just go and go on fan graphs and go and pull a bunch of data on this and just see how bad they were. So that's kind of what I did. I pulled all of the team stats, batting, pitching and team defense for every Giants team from 2017 back to 1986 or 1985, which is like 33 seasons, and just started stacking them up to to look at the data. And I will qualify this by saying like I'm not a sabermetrician or anything like that, but I analyze data a decent amount from a career standpoint so this is by no stretch of the imagination anything that a scout would be excited to hear but i think gave me some pretty good context on how terrible the giants were in relative terms to to the period of time that i've been watching them
0: So if you're pulling the batting and pitching stats, did you look at the difference between starting and relief pitching, or are you just looking in aggregate at batting and pitching?
1: Um, I looked at both, but most it's aggregate because it was easier to do team stats in aggregate. But then I I also looked at kind of depth chart information and, and fan graphs is great. I mean, if you're a baseball geek, and like the stats, I highly recommend going and just sticking your nose into a bunch of the links on there. There's some pretty neat stuff on, uh, on that site. Tell me, uh, in 2017,
0: was the case that the Giants couldn't hit, couldn't pitch, or is this the most obvious question and the answer is both?
1: It's both, but it gets worse. They couldn't hit, they couldn't pitch, and they were terrible defensively.
0: So that's a pretty big departure from the last few years, right?
1: And that's what was really surprising about this. So I'll hit you with a couple of numbers. Well, the way that I evaluated this is that there's the ability to do. I guess they can calculate WAR on a team, which is wins above replacement uh, from a, a team perspective. Uh, and for those who are not familiar with WAR, it's an incredibly complex calculation done by a bunch of super nerd like phd mathematicians that tells you basically like the value of a player in games one above an average player um, and then i guess they aggregate all that up and give you a team war and so the giants just to give you a little bit of perspective they're from a batting perspective in 2000 in their world series years in 2010, 2012, and 2014, their war for batting was between 20 and 25.
0: They weren't great lineups. I mean, they were good and competitive. Those teams were built on pitching and defense.
1: That's right. Where Versus like the Barry Bonds years were 30 to 35.
0: Okay. So when we're roided out of our mind and just blasting the ball out of every park on the planet, it's 35. When you're a competitive top third of the league you're in the 20s what were the Giants last year uh nine nine yeah so I was expecting a negative number how does that work they're nine wins over replacement as a team
1: aggregate that means you take all of their players every player is either a positive or a negative and you know you're so this is like Buster Posey's like a four with a war As opposed to you know, it wasn't a team full of you know Gregor Blancos where who who would have probably a negative. I guess I could look him up, but he he'd definitely be in the zero to negative.
0: I just assume that if you have a team that's so underperforming overall as a team that they would have a net negative war. But interesting, so we're down to a nine for a for a really bad offensive team. And to
1: give you perspective on that, that's the the second worst batting team over the last 33 years that the the giants have had
0: who was the worst
1: um the pedro feliz years probably it was the the 1985 giants oh
0: lost 100 games yeah
1: they were 62 and 100 the year before will clark yes
0: right okay so second worst offensive team in a generation talk to me about the pitching staff
1: uh the pitching staff was bottom third the again to give you the perspective 2010 Giants uh, pitching staff war of 18, 2012, you know, was 13, 14, 2014 was uh, 12 or so. The Giants were, you know, 2017 was kind of right in that, in that space. Their pitching staff was kind of in the mid, you know, in the middle. The funny thing about it is like these, these metrics are kind of skewed because their pitching staffs in the before two thousand from Candlestick, were just some of them were just awful.
0: I guess the interesting thing about that is we look at how bad the team was. I assume the pitching was terrible, and it seems like the pitching was mediocre.
1: It was average. But the the thing that's kind of hidden in this is that Madison Bumgardner makes up like they had a war of twelve, and Madison Bumgardner makes up three or four of that, and he was injured for for the vast majority of the season. So even though he was registered on there, their war was probably closer to like a nine or so, which puts them solidly in the lower third. But you combine that with their defense. And this is where things were a little interesting. And I think this is kind of interesting from a a really a, a shift in how analytics has changed in baseball. They didn't have team defense stats going back to 1985. They just had fielding percentage and fielding percentage is basically like how many errors did you have versus balls that you know, were Got hit to, to you? Um, and if you look at that, their team fielding percentage was sixth best in the last thirty-five years. And I was like, "Well, that doesn't make sense because I thought their I thought their defense was garbage last year. That's what you know everybody was complaining about." And so I ended up pulling back to. 2002 where they had team where they've had team defense stats uh-huh. and their team defense ranking was 14th out of 16 and this is like this includes stats like UZR, uzr which is like ultimate zone radius which basically set, how takes like the the average distance that a player goes and sh- you know should they have gotten to that could they have gotten to that ball yeah
0: i'm gonna take a stab at my attempt at describing why that happens is you had hunter pence denard span and i don't even know the hell who in the outfield hunter pence was injured for the vast majority of the year with a hamstring issue didn't cover a lot of ground denard span doesn't cover a ton of ground anymore and can't throw the ball to save his life and you had a minor leaguer in the third outfield spot And you also ended up with Pablo Sandoval at third. You had Nunez playing in the outfield a fair amount. Belt was injured a bunch. Panic had the concussion for a little while. Like Their defense got shifted around so much that you weren't covering any ground in the outfield, and you had replacement players in the infield throughout a fair amount of the year. I think that's an underrated part of last year is... Everybody was injured at some point. Posey got hurt. Baumgartner was clearly out for a long time. You lost your closer or he was playing injured. There was just, that's the underrated thing. The reason why I have some hope for this year is everything that could have gone wrong last year went wrong to a level that we never could have expected. Like Madison Baumgartner getting injured the way he did was just, just typifies the whole
1: year. Yeah, that was exactly the conclusion that I came to as well, which was, Hey, they were old and they were injured. And when you're old and injured, you don't get to a whole lot. You don't even get a chance at a lot of balls that they had chances at before. And so even though they were making a bunch of errors, they're letting a bunch of balls drop for singles and go into the gap that would have gotten picked up before. And that shows in... The team defense numbers compared to the World Series years, you know, 2010, their team defense rating was a, was a 56 versus, and their team defense in 2015 and 16 were, you know, 30 and 50. And in 2017, they were 1.6. They were terrible. And when you combine all those things together, Yo.
0: With the ball being hit all over the yard and not being able to score runs, with a yard you get 68 wins.
1: With a yard that is big and it plays really well into a team that has good defense, um, you know, you're, not, you're hitting terribly. You have a below average pitching staff that is backed up by a defense that is awful uh, in a park that plays big. That's how you get to 98 losses.
0: So uh, you sound very optimistic about this 2018 season then.
1: Well, I mean, we're going to be a lot better than 98 losses.
0: It's hard to be much worse. Uh, tell me how you feel about the offseason moves. What do you think of the strategy?
1: I think when you and I first talked about the Longoria and the McCutcheon moves, I, I texted you back as meh. And I still kind of feel that way about them they're meh but after going through this exercise of looking at their team those two players basically they were huge positions of need and i think they picked up quite a few wins it basically transformed them from a really terrible team to a team that can that can be 500 and sell tickets
0: yeah i I am in total agreement I, i think that they're trying to to back into the playoffs. And part of this is they have an aging team that isn't quite over the hill and that they can't just have a complete fire sale yet because this team means too much to the Bay Area because of how much success they had. They can't trade Posey. They can't trade Baumgartner. They can't harvest the team for young value and do what the Marlins did and hope in a couple of years or what the A's do, hope in a couple of years that they're good. So they had to add on pieces that were as mature As the existing roster, and then all of those will come off the books relatively at the same time. They'll get rid of, you know. I think we've both talked about this. the The theory for you and I is that they'll dump Posey and Bumgardner in a package to Atlanta when Atlanta's on the rise. In two or three years for all of their prospects and they'll wait two years for those guys to get to the majors and they needed a couple of couple of bats to get them through that so it wasn't just painstaking for the fans for the next few years so trying to be competitive hoping Bochi puts them over the edge if they get into the playoffs but you know i think it's a stretch to say that a team that lost 98 games is all of a sudden going to win 86 to 92.
1: I think you're you're being pretty kind in terms of hoping that they make it into the playoffs. I, I mean, I'm sure they hope that they make it into the playoffs because you know, there's a lot of money to be made in in ticket sales and TV revenue for making it into the playoffs. But I think the reality of it is that they're in a squarely 500 team in a division that is going to be. Pretty 500-ish, with the exception of the Dodgers, unfortunately. And I think the, the Dodgers are going to have another 95-win season. And the Padres and the Diamondbacks and the Rockies and the Giants are all going to be in the middle of the pack, pretty close to 500, depending on how the injury bug bites
0: Right. Yeah. No, I think we we think about it the same way. Vegas has the Giants at uh, 81 and a half wins. And I think that they are a couple of wins better than that, a little bit over 500 and a fringe playoff team. And again, I think that the reason if they are about 500 and they're competitive going into the second half of the season, I wouldn't be surprised to see them make a move and add a more mature arm And spend because I think what they're doing is saying, look, we'll go over the luxury tax. That was clearly a focus for them to stay under and give themselves the option to invest in the team if it's going to make the playoffs or if they think they can, or to pull back and trade assets and not have a huge cost.
1: Yeah, I guess, and this is a question for you, and I hear you on that. I don't know why they would be buyers when they're so talent depleted in their farm system. I think that their goal has to be, hey, you put a 500, 500 plus 85 win on the field for the next, like you said, two or three years, and you trade your strategic sellers at the deadlines when you have the opportunity to rebuild your farm system uh, for the next run after the Posey and Bumgardner contracts are up. Because, you know... I just I look at their farm system and they don't they have jack there and I think that if you keep on trying to buy through these kind of average years you're you're really just mortgaging a good playoff you know set of playoff runs over the next couple a of, couple of years for not a whole lot yeah
0: uh, yeah what I, my thought going into that sorry to cut you off my thought going into that is that. I agree that they're strategic sellers on some level and that their goal is to replenish the farm system to make another run at a championship level. I think that where they would invest is taking on budget and short term rentals to try to make it into the playoffs. It's basically, will I spend the money that goes into being over the luxury tax and the money that goes into The third starter so you can bump Samarja and somebody else, you know, into the bullpen to make the playoffs. Can I get five wins at the end of the season by having a one year starter that's going to give me two wins and I'm buying that person as opposed to giving up assets, buying somebody expensive? you know, that might be a stretch. I I think that it's a cost benefit analysis between what's it worth to make the playoffs and how much does that one piece that you need if you're, I think they're a starting pitcher short from being more competitive. You know, if that guy comes up, you mentioned CJ Wilson earlier, say CJ Wilson a couple of years ago, uh, where you have a lefty that can come in and be your third starter, what they hoped Matt Moore would be. If that guy comes up and he's on a two year contract that they're just buying for cash, I wouldn't be surprised if they did it to make the playoffs. It just depends how the team performs in the beginning of the year.
1: I think the only way that happens is if Tyler Beattie, you know, if he ends up doing well or Duggar ends up being somebody that provides them a little bit more support than they're expecting. So I could see them doing that next year or the year after, but I think this year they're really in a bridge year and that's why they picked up, you know, I I think it was a great move for them to pick up McCutcheon because that guy's going to put butts in seats and these next two or three years are as much about how do you, how do you market to a fan base to continue to sell 30,000 seats 30 to 40 thousand seats and keep the you know the revenue coming in and i think you know it's a great ballpark and it's a great event to go to it's a fun thing to go and do and there's a there's enough fans in the in the area that you can get people to come out for the tuesday four six packs or what have you but i think it's a tough situation to make a good run of the playoffs at least this year
0: so you're uh You're going down to spring training. It's the beginning of the season. You don't think the team is going to be, you'll think they'll be competitive, but not at a playoff level. What are you looking for when you go down to spring training?
1: Oh, dude. I mean, spring training is just about having fun and getting to experience baseball again. it's, It's always a long winter and, you know, especially up in Seattle where having a little bit of having a little bit of sun in, in March is very welcome. And especially now at this this stage, having uh, young kids who are excited about baseball, you know, spring training is a much smaller environment and there's a chance they get to meet some of the players and, and see them up close. And, you know, that's kind of the essence of baseball for me. I mean, obviously I love the Giants, but I'm as much a an Americana kind of guy and you know, baseball is a representation for life and a, a great place to spend quality time with the family and spring training's a bit of a throwback to that. You know, it's hard to go and take a family to a ball game for ten bucks a seat or fifteen bucks a, a seat and twenty five these days. Yeah. I mean, well, spring training is getting to that point as well, at least with the with the Giants. But when Kate and I first started going to to spring training back in 2010, you know, it was it was seven, eight bucks a ticket. It was like it's minor league baseball. And I never really had an appreciation for minor league baseball uh, until I met Kate. She grew up in Eugene and she's a Yankees fan from a major league team. But her real team that she grew up was single A short season Emerald M's at Civic Stadium. And I always kind of thought that was like, oh, you know, why would you watch minor league baseball when you could watch a major league team? But uh, but minor league baseball is awesome, man. Like you get super close to the uh, to the game, and anything can happen because you know the the kids that are down there, some are good and some are not, not as good, and you can fall on a twelve run inning pretty uh, pretty easily. Um, and it's just a smaller, more intimate atmosphere. So I'm a big fan of spring training and minor league baseball, especially with young kids.
0: Well, I hope you have a great time while you're down there. Let's uh, let's hop back on the pod when you come back, and I want to hear what you think of the team seeing them in person. And if you run into Will Clark, tell him I love him.
1: Will do. <laughs> it's good to good to be on, man.
0: All right, man. Okay, that's a wrap for today's show. Uh, our plans to do this every week. So if you want more giant baseball in your podcast feed, click that subscribe button. Also, we're just getting started, so uh, we'd love for you to rate this podcast in the Apple iTunes store, and feel free to send us any questions that you may may have. Uh, If you're interested in being on the podcast also, you know this is a podcast for the fans by the fans, so you can visit us at forthefansbythefans.com. Thanks again to our friends at Fanatics. Uh, If you're going to buy your Giants gear, head to ftfbtf.com slash Giants, and Fanatics will kick us a couple of bucks uh, to help us produce the show. Until next time, swing a miss, and that's it. <laughs>